It's great to see everybody this morning. We are just delighted that you have chosen to come and be part of our church family today and worship with us as we spend some time in praise to our great God. And now we're going to dig into his word and study together that we could understand what kind of people he wants us to be. I'm, I'm looking over the crowd. I'm seeing some guests. It is, it is Mother's Day weekend, so I'm guessing some families have come together to honor mom. Mom, I hope they take good care of you today, okay? It's a blessing to, be, to get to be together with family. Hope your family's having a good weekend. I get to be with my mom on Mother's Day. That doesn't happen very often for preachers, does it, Max? Usually I'm working when we're doing Mother's Day. So that's a special treat for me to get to have my mom and dad here this morning as well. Hope it's a great day for all of our moms. Hope you have a happy Mother's Day. We're going to get into the Word this morning, so grab your Bible, head all the way back to the book of Genesis, all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. That's where we're going to start. For our church family, that is familiar territory because we have been spending a lot of time in the book of Genesis this year. Before we get to that text, I want to make this observation and see if I could get myself deep into trouble. I think it is an odd thing that we celebrate Mother's Day in this country. Someone says, yeah, you're in a lot of trouble right now. Well, wait, hear me out on this. I think it's perfectly fitting that as a nation we pause and think about the valuable contributions that wives and mothers make to their families and, and that we celebrate that. In fact, moms are like this. It shouldn't just be once a year, right? How about Mother's Day every Tuesday? Would that work for you guys? But I'm going to say it again. I think it is odd that this country observes Mother's Day. Because candidly, brothers and sisters, our culture, it appears, does not attach a lot of value to what mothers do. Are you with me on that? So I wanted to quantify that a little bit, and I spent some time last week reading through some blogs and, and read some interesting things. One feminist blogger, I'm going to call her a feminist blogger. You can see if you agree with me when I get done. One feminist blogger wrote this. She wrote that the work women do at home is not real work. And she added, it should not be compared to important stuff like being a doctor or building a business. And if that didn't make you mad, this will. She added that women only say managing the household is difficult to justify their lack of any real accomplishments. And I read that and I thought, I wonder what her Mother's Day cards look like. <laughs> Thanks, Mom, for doing very little for me. Is that what it is? I don't think it's a secret to anyone sitting here today that there is in our culture this sentiment that says, if you're going to do something important with your life, something that really matters and has an impact, ladies, you got to get beyond the four walls of the house and get out into the career world and compete with the guys. In fact, some would say to you that if your attention is focused on caring for your family, you are wasting your time. Another lady in a blog post that I read was telling about sharing with her mom her plan to stay home once she had children. 
She was telling her mom, no, I'm not going to hire a nanny. I'm going to stay home and I'm going to take care of my kids. And she said, my mom looked at me with this fat, sad face and said, but you're so talented. As though to expend that talent on a family was a waste of her talent. How do you feel about that? Is that disturbing? It's the kind of stuff that makes me wonder, why are we celebrating Mother's Day when people seem to attach so little significance to what mothers do. I worry about all of that. When I hear things like that, when I read blog posts like that, I think about our young ladies growing up and what kind of impressions are being left in their mind when we read stuff like that. And I, and I worry about all the moms sitting in the crowd today with those, with those cultural messages out there. I worry that it makes moms sometimes feel like what they do doesn't have a lot of value. And so I'd like to address that today. What I'd really like to do, since we're thinking about mom anyway today, is to talk about some of these cultural myths that are out there that I think need to be answered. In fact, I would submit we need to let the Creator weigh in on all of this and speak to these, to these ideas and set everybody straight on them. There's a reason to honor moms, and I think scriptures show us why. So let's do that today by answering some cultural myths about mom. Let me tell you where I want to begin. I want to begin right here in this place with this myth because this is, this is at the foundation of it all. One cultural myth says that the Bible treats moms as second-class citizens. Have you heard that before? There are voices in our culture that lay the blame for the mistreatment of women at the feet of the Bible. I don't know if the Bible has feet, but work with me on that. One blogger wrote that the Bible treats women as servants of their husbands who ought, according to the Bible, to be ignorant and silent. Another claimed that the abusive hatred of women permeates the pages of God's holy book. And so there is this idea in our culture the reason women are undervalued and, de 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 and degraded and mistreated is fundamentally because that's what the Bible leads people to do. I tell you, when I hear things like that, I just wonder, have these people ever read the Bible? Because nothing could be further from the truth. I told you to go back to Genesis 1. I'm looking down at verse 27. So we're all the way back at the beginning when God created man. And notice what he said. This is Genesis 1, 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Let's start right there. When God made men and women, both, notice, both are made in the image of God. And in that way, they are the same. Now, jump ahead with me. I'm headed to Galatians chapter 3. Will you go there? Galatians chapter 3. And I want you to notice something the Apostle Paul said. Galatians 3, verse 26. For all of you are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus... For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Now listen to 28. Here it is. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. Do you see what he says there? 
When, when we come before God, your race doesn't matter. Your background doesn't matter. Where you stand in society before God doesn't matter. And if you're a man or a woman before God, it does not matter. We are all the same. Race, social status, gender is irrelevant to God. We are all one before God. And so, jump ahead to 1 Peter chapter 3 now, and listen to what Peter says to husbands. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, building on those ideas, he would say in verse 7, you husbands in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman, listen to this, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers would not be hindered. What is a woman's status before God? Same as a man. They share a common journey. They are headed to the same destination. Peter says, she is your fellow heir, the grace of life, your partner on this road that's traveling to heaven, and you need to honor her as such. Do you see that? So I just wonder, when people come along and they make this claim that the Bible treats women as second-class citizens, where do they get that? Because that is surely, brothers and sisters, not what the Scriptures teach. Those three verses would suffice. I don't need to say more about that, but I can. Because as we get into the Bible story, what we find is that both men and women are part of the story, aren't they? Bible doesn't ignore women or exclude them, but rather includes them in pivotal roles. Adam and Eve, back at the beginning. Both are involved in that story. Both are involved in that sin. More recently, we've been reading about Abraham, the great patriarch, the one through whom the promise, the promise of our salvation begins. And yet, as you read that story, is that story just about Abraham? His wife, Sarah? is included and in fact is a vital part of that story. Her story is intertwined with his and the broader Bible story. Then you get over into the New Testament. Look at the life of Jesus. Were women excluded from his story? Absolutely not. Played a vital role in his story. We read about his interactions with women. John 4, that woman he encounters at the well at Samaria and, and, and teaches her and teaches her the gospel. And then, and then there's the disreputable woman that comes to him in the house of the Pharisee and, and washes his feet with her, with her tears. And then you get over into the, into the epistles and we find, or in the book of Acts, rather, we find women playing vital roles in the, in the spread of the gospel. It was Priscilla working with her husband Aquila that helped teach that young preacher the, 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 the way of the word more accurately, Apollos. Remember that story? Rather than being excluded or ignored, they are interwoven into the whole of the Bible story. When I put that point together, it occurred to me that that will be unremarkable to Western eyes like ours. Of course, living in America in 2019, we think women should be included in the story. What I need you to do this morning is get back in that culture and look at that through their eyes. Because brothers and sisters, their culture was not like our culture in the way that women were treated. Women were property in the world of the first century. They belonged to their fathers who controlled them until they were married. And then freedom, right? No. 
After they were married, they belonged to their husbands. He was completely in control of them, and they were at their, his mercy for the rest of their life. In Greek culture, a, Roman, a woman rather was to remain indoors and to obey her husband, couldn't vote, couldn't hold an office. Her testimony in court was considered unreliable. You talk about degrading women. Go back and study Roman culture. Because it was in that culture that the Apostle Paul would dare to say, in Christ there is no male and female. It's in that culture that the Apostle Peter would say to husbands, she is your fellow heir of the grace of life. Brothers and sisters, rather than degrading women, Scripture exalted women. What was taught in New Testament days by the apostles was radical and revolutionary. Forever changed the role and status of women. Changed the dynamic of marriage. People come along at you and say, the Bible, the Bible treats women like second-class citizens. Just know that they don't know. That's a myth. It does just the opposite. I need to press on. A lot more we can say about that, but I want to deal with the second myth. I also want to deal this morning with this myth that says biblical roles for moms are demeaning and devalue moms. The biblical roles for mom devalue them and are demeaning. You could hear that in some of the comments I read earlier, right, from the blogger who said that a woman's work at home isn't real work, not real work like doctors or someone who's building a business. A guy wrote this one, so ladies, you can judge him as you wish. He said, a friend of mine was very smart, best student in my high school class, a statistical degree from a top European university, an MBA from a top 20 U.S. school, a brilliant career in marketing. And now he says, she is practically a housewife back in my home country. She seems so happy, but I feel sad thinking about the lost talent. Do you see it? There is a myth out there that said what moms do at home isn't the important stuff. And that if a woman devoted her life to her family, she would be wasting her life. I want you to know, folks, that's a myth with a lot of dimensions, and it one's, it's one that needs to be answered. So, so let me say a couple of things this morning. First of all, can we say clearly today that this idea that biblically a woman's role involves lunch and laundry, can we just say that that's a myth too? Bible doesn't limit women in that way. Go back and read Proverbs chapter 31. Read about the virtuous woman as described by the Holy Spirit. And what you will find is a woman who had many different facets of her life, not all of which kept her at home, some of which took her outside the home. And then, and then we get to the New Testament and we find how, how New, New Testament disciples, women were often involved in all kinds of labors that involved the spreading of the kingdom of God. This idea that women in the scripture are reserved to taking care of the laundry and the food fixing at home. That's not a biblical idea, folks. But there is a role 
that a woman plays in her home. And Scripture does talk about that. So I'm headed to the book of Titus. Will you look there in your Bible? Titus chapter 2, verse number 3. Paul writes, Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. And so we read a passage like this and what becomes clear to us is that God had in mind a role for women in the home, a critical role. What I would say about that, folks, and this is where I'm going to part company with those feminist bloggers, is I believe what is described here is one of the most important works done on the face of the earth. Brothers and sisters, the home is the building block on which our society is constructed. And the work that is done there by moms and dads to to take children and to help them grow up physically and, and spiritually and emotionally mature, to get them educated and prepare for an adult life, that is work that has impact across all of our culture. Someone said a long time ago, as the home goes, so goes the nation. And then for me and you as disciples of Jesus, there's another piece of that because we understand that it's vital for a role to be played instructing kids in the home to know the Word of God, right? To grow up with God on their heart and His will on their heart so they will grow up to be faithful disciples. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. Our difference with feminists is not over the value of a woman. Our difference with feminists is over the value of the home. The vital work that is done there. It is among the very most important things that are done on this planet. I have to tell you, as I was thinking about that, it occurred to me that I ought to say the same things about dads, shouldn't I? I understand that men and women have different roles that they play in the home, but let's be clear that dads also have responsibilities in the home with the children, right? In Ephesians 6, 4, he tells fathers not to provoke your children to anger, but to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So dad has a role at home too. Let me say something about that. I don't care how high up you are at ExxonMobil or how vital your job is to the success of that company. It is nearly as important as what you come home and do for your kids. A job is a way to earn a living so families can have the things they need to survive. But the work of a mom and dad at home with their children, helping raise them up to be responsible adults and serve the Lord, it's the most important thing going on, folks. This idea that these biblical roles devalue women, it's a myth. Do not let, ladies, do not ever let anyone convince you that the work you're doing at home doesn't matter. It is one of the few things in this life that really does. Makes an eternal difference. Well, I'd like to say a lot more about that. I need to press on, right? Because y'all all are thinking about Mother's Day lunch. Do I still have y'all? Because I got one more myth 
that I want to address, and that is the myth that says subjection demeans moms. And I know, I thought about this when I was working on this point, there'd be people who say, are you serious? You're going to put that word up there on Mother's Day? Yeah, we went there, talking about subjection on Mother's Day. Listen, that is a nasty word in our culture, isn't it? And to suggest that a wife should submit to her husband, well, that's, that's enough to spawn a protest outside the church building. For many in our culture, when they see the word subjection, they hear enslavement. That's what it means. It enslaves a wife to her husband. It means, it means domination. It means that a wife is run over and mistreated by her husband. It means that she is devalued, that she is of lesser importance than her husband. And listen, that kind of thinking finds its way even into God's people. Several years ago, Wesley, I, I had a good friend who wanted me to do her wedding. And I, I did what you do. You know, we sat down and we talked about what do you want me to say in this wedding? And she said, really, I only have one thing. I don't care what you do as long as you don't use the word subjection in my ceremony. Uh, I thought, uh-oh. And I talked to her somebody. I said, well, what's the problem with that? And she said, listen, I don't have any problem with the biblical idea of me being submissive to my husband. It's just that subjection is such a nasty word. And I want my wedding to be a happy day, not a negative day. What is that? Disciples buy in the myth. Say that a woman has to submit to her husband and you have enslaved her and allow her to be dominated and devalued. Can I say something about that today? I know it's Mother's Day, but that myth, brothers and sisters, it needs to be answered and put to rest. It is not true. So let me say three things about it. First of all, to understand this correctly, we all need to appreciate that everybody submits to someone. Have you ever thought about that? Why don't you process that for a minute? Everybody, male or female, everybody submits to someone. For example, if you are a citizen of the United States, and since Gabe isn't with us anymore, I guess that applies to everybody, right? If you are a citizen of the United States, you submit to the governing authorities, right? You do that because that's almost the exact language of Romans 13.1. Disciples are commanded to submit to the governing authorities. I mean, the authority makes the law and we've got to, we've got to submit and obey those laws, right? You got a job? Do you own the company? Guess what? When you go to work Monday, you are going to submit to someone. The guy that owns the company? Maybe an immediate supervisor who comes to work every day and tells you what your job is going to be. Maybe he even tells you how to do your job. And you have to do what? You've got to submit to him, don't you? In fact, you want to get really sketchy with this today? Are you a member of the Dallas Road Church? What does Hebrews 13 and verse 17 say? You submit to the elders, right? So I could go on and on with my list, but here's my point. Everybody submits to somebody. But oddly enough, in all those other relationships, we don't find it demeaning. Have you ever thought about that? So nobody says, I feel so devalued because I have to submit to the government. Now I know sometimes we don't like the law, 
But we all want people to keep the law, right? I've never heard somebody say, it is so degrading that I have to submit to the guy that owns my company and operate this business his way. Now listen, some people don't like their supervisor, and some uh, supervisors are oppressive and ugly, and that setting is bad. But nobody comes along and says, it shouldn't be that way. I should just get to go to work and do whatever I want to do. I've never heard anybody say that. In fact, in fact, we know the opposite is true, don't we? Aren't y'all glad that people submit to the government? Isn't that a good thing? Imagine the chaos that would exist in this country if everyone just got to do whatever they wanted to do. No, no, no. We like this idea of there being leaders, right? And people who submit to that leadership. In fact, it is difficult to think of a relationship we sustain in this life. There aren't many of them. Where there isn't some form of leadership and some form of submission. And in all those other relationships, nobody seems to have a problem with that. Until we get to the home. I would contend that the same thing is necessary in families. Just to illustrate that simile, sometimes there are going to be uh, decisions that need to be made where opinions vary and there are different mindsets about it. And so after all the discussion is had and we've wrestled with this decision, somebody's got to be a decider, right? Somebody's got to make a call. And that role God has given to husbands as leaders in their family. So I look at Ephesians Chapter 5, are you there? Ephesians 5, verse 22, where the text says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. And so just like in every other sphere of life, God has appointed leaders in the home and called for submission to that leadership. The thing that I'd like you to see today is that that is not something unique or special to families. That's the way life is, leaders and those who submit to the leadership. Second thing I would say is this, that submission does not devalue somebody. And again, we understand that in all of other, all, all these other life relationships. Am I somehow less important because I got to do what the government says I have to do when they pass law? Let me ask this question. Does the fact that you have a supervisor who tells you what to do at work mean that he's more important than you? Or that he's smarter than you? You ever worked for somebody that wasn't smarter than you? Hey, that happens. Maybe they bring in some new guy, and he's going to run this department, but he's just out of school and brand new, and he may have a lot of head knowledge, but he has no idea how to run that line, right? Who's in charge? He is. What's your job? I've got to follow his lead, but I'm probably going to have to help him on the way, right? Does the fact that someone's an elected politician to some kind of government office mean he's smarter than you? I know y'all don't believe that. I've read your Facebook post. Much of you think you're smarter than the guys in government. Did I say that? It's true, isn't it? 
Here's the point, folks. Subjection has zero to do with intelligence. You may be smarter than the person to whom you have to submit. It has nothing to do with value. It has everything to do with order. Remember what we said about God last week? He's a God of design. He sets things in order so that they'll work properly. And that's what you have in the home. And listen, good leaders recognize that they aren't the smartest guys in the room. They realize that the people they lead have information that you need to do a good job leading. If we apply that to families, I would say that a wise husband knows how much he needs his wife. I do. I got to tell you something, folks. There are just some things where my wife has a better perception of situations that I do. She understands circumstances. She can see things that I don't see. I need her wisdom to help me. The fact that I am her husband, the leader in our family, and she submits to me says nothing about her intelligence or her value or her status. She is my fellow heir of the grace of life. It's about order. This idea that submission devalues women, it's just not true. It's something culture has invented. And lastly, submission certainly does not allow for the mistreatment of women. That gets said sometimes. That's where we started all of this. People who claim that the Bible is at the root of women being mistreated in our culture. Folks who say that haven't read the Bible. If you go back to Ephesians 5, some ignore that God also addresses the other side of this equation. He tells wives to submit to their husbands, but in verse 25, he says to husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the world with the word, that he might present himself to himself, the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that they should be holy, but that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church. You see that? There is, brothers and sisters, this sacred trust that exists between a husband and wife. He commits himself as a disciple of Jesus to be a servant leader to his family, to think of her needs before his own, to serve her unselfishly and sacrificially, to figure out how best to satisfy those needs, to love her like Christ loved the church. And to that husband, the wife brings this voluntary gift of her submission that he would, she would let him be the decider and lead the family and support him in that role. And I'll tell you what, folks, when you do it God's way, it's just right. Culture thinks they have better ideas, better arrangements. My question would be, how's it working out? God's way or the world's way? You know, that's the choice that we're always confronted with, God's way or the world's way. The question is, which way have you chosen? If you're sitting in this crowd today, and you have not chosen to follow Jesus. We're going to tell you, you need to follow his way. 
You need to embrace him as the Savior sent from heaven. You need to determine you're going to live your life in accordance with his will. No matter what's going on in culture, we're committed to him because he's right. His way is best. Have you been baptized for the remission of your sins? Because that's what the Savior says you do to become his child. If you haven't done that, we'd love to help you do that today. You make your need by coming to the front right now while we stand, while we sing.